we belonged to a, a life group, small group, here through Life Church for about a year and a half, shortly after we finally got our house and got settled. And it's just been good and have, we have grown together over this last year and a half. Uh, we haven't met a whole lot in the last few months uh, with holidays and then with uh, church, uh, sometimes not being open and uh, just with sickness and all, but we finally got back together last week. Uh, we would uh, keep in touch any way we could, but it was just good to get back together and get caught up with each other and study together. And we're starting the book of Revelation, a John MacArthur study that we're doing. And, uh, you know, for a lot of people, that would be enough to scare them away. But it was what we wanted to do. So it looks like it's going to be a good study. And I'm sure we'll have a different perspective for some of us. Uh, but it's always good to spend time in God's Word on your own, uh, with your spouse, with a, a friend or a group of friends. Uh, because sometimes through another person, especially, uh, God will maybe show you something new uh, or correct something that you thought was right. And sometimes he leaves you with more questions than you started with. And that's okay, too, because that may get you looking and reading and studying more uh, to try to get those questions answered. Uh, in my podcast last few months, I've been primarily using the NIV Bible. Uh, and I've been doing that because the NIV is more universal uh, it's one that more people have. Uh, as you know, once in a while, I'll use the message, or very frequently, I'll use King James, uh, the New Living Translation sometimes. Um, but if I'm doing a study on my own, um, a lot of times I'll use two, three, four different versions. And I believe that's good because some texts uh, may make it a little, a little more understandable, or just give you that uh, insight that you didn't have before. And if you have the YouVersion app, uh, there's many, many versions that you can use. Just in the King James alone, there's a King James American, there's a King James UK, uh, and there's just a lot of them out there, uh, some I've never heard of before and haven't tried to use. But those of, it, those of us in the United States have little or no excuse to not have the Bible at our fingertips. Uh, any church that I've ever been associated with, if somebody would have come in and said, you know, I, I just don't have a Bible, you know, we'd get them a Bible. And I'm sure that's the way it is with most churches. Uh, but praise the Lord, we can find His Word on the Internet. We can take it with us no matter where we go. And that's one way that it makes it more and more available to more and more people, which is good because the more people that have uh, the Word of God and it, uh, it, you know, for them to look at it at any time, you know, that much better that they can get to know Him and be able to serve Him. So let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks for your Word. And as we look into it today, Lord, help us to see uh, what it is you want us to see. And and I know if uh, 20 people listen to this podcast, they may come away with 20 different thoughts or ideas. So, Lord, just open our ears, our minds, our hearts, and let your Holy Spirit speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
uh, the word unforgivable. Okay, the dictionary definition is this, so bad as to be unable to be forgiven or excused. And some synonyms for that is inexcusable, uh, unpardonable, unjustified, indefensible, rehemp, rep, reprehensible, <laughs> outrageous, deplorable, despicable, disgraceful, shameful, condemnable, and there's a bunch more. So many of us have been or are aware of a situation that could be seen as unforgivable. Uh, abuse of a, a spouse or a child or, an, or of an elder, uh, murder, rape, uh, somebody that steals money from a, a church or from a nonprofit organization of some kind. Uh, first of all, we don't see why anybody would commit such crimes. Uh, it's just, for most of us, it's beyond our comprehension that somebody would do that, uh, especially if it involves a child. You know, we hear something on TV or read about it, that somebody did some horrific thing, uh, again, to a child. Uh, we just think, you know, how could anybody possibly do that? Uh, you know, just beyond our possible thinking. Uh, so forgiveness may come at, at some point, uh, maybe not for a long time, and maybe not by everyone. And there's some sins that we just may look at as unforgivable. Now, from a, a really religious point of view, uh, that may also be true. So this is a list of the Catholic Church and the seven deadly sins. Uh, pride, lust, gluttony, greed, slothfulness, uh, which is physical laziness, anger or wrath or envy. Now, it doesn't mean that they're seen as unforgivable sins, but they're sins that oftentimes lead to other sins. It's just uh, kind of an open door to different things. Uh, to many Christians, there's some unforgivable sins, uh, especially divorce or suicide. Uh, divorce, some classify that as an unforgivable sin because we're told in Malachi 2 verses uh, 15 and 16, and this is from the New Living Translation, it says, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth, for I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart, do not be unfaithful to your wife. Okay, God hates divorce. Well, yeah, he does. But God hates every sin. Okay? He, he hates stealing. He hates lying. He hates uh, adultery. He hates murder. He hates, you know, taking his name in vain, whatever it might be. God hates sin. And to God, sin is sin. Okay? So we need to, to remember that. God doesn't look at it as, as this is the big sin that you can commit. And these other sins, you know, they're sins, but eh, they're down the list here. 
Now, to some others, suicide is an unforgivable sin. Uh, Genesis 1.27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Destroying the image of God in any way is a sin, whether it's murder or suicide or abortion. You know, it's, you're destroying something that was made in the image of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verses 19 and 20, says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. When we give ourselves to the Lord, you know, it's a package deal. You know, we give him our body, our mind, and our spirit. So looking at it from these two scriptures, suicide, certainly, I believe anyways, is a sin. But is it unforgivable? I don't think so. You may, and I probably couldn't change your mind on that if you do. But it's a, it's a sin that, you know, I think we'll have to answer for. You know, if I wanted to commit suicide, of course, I wouldn't be in my right mind to begin with. But, and I went to the Lord before I was going to do whatever to take my life. And I said, Lord, forgive me all my sins. Forgive me what I'm, for what I'm about to do, you know, but... And then I took my life, and I think the time would come that I would still have to answer for that sin. So, is there any sin that's unforgivable? And what does the Bible say about unforgivable sin? Well, I'm glad you asked, because there is one, and there's only one. Listen to what Jesus tells us in Matthew 12, beginning in verse 30. It says, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters so i tell you every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven but blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven anyone who speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven anyone who speaks against the holy spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Pretty harsh words, okay? Given to us by the, the Messiah, the Savior, said, this is the way, you can speak against me, but don't speak against the Holy Spirit. So let me give you the same passage from the message. It says, there's nothing done or said that can't be forgiven, but if you deliberately persist in your slanders against God's Spirit, you are re repudiating the very one who forgives. If you reject the Son of Man out of some misunderstanding, the Holy Spirit can forgive you. But when you reject the Holy Spirit, you're sawing off the branch on which you're sitting, severing your own perversity, all connection with the one who forgives. You know, they're both saying the same thing differently because what it means is speaking against the Holy Spirit cuts you off from God for eternity. Okay, because in the NIV it says, you know, you won't be forgiven now or in the age to come. 
Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I'll pretty much say it the same way. But here's Matthew, or excuse me, here's Mark's version from chapter 3, verses 28, 29. It says, Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. Blasphemes the Holy Spirit. You know, that's another one of those uncommon words that, you know, you just don't use in everyday language. So what does it mean? It means that it's the act or offense of speaking sacrilegiously about God or sacred things. Profane talk. And I'll give you a few synonyms, okay? Profanity, irreverence, taking the Lord's name in vain, swearing, cursing, unholiness, desecration, disrespect, okay? Not something you want to be doing, okay? I remember when I was in high school, my girlfriend had, was a Catholic and had been from day one. And me, I was unchurched, basically. Uh, and, you know, I was, I remember dropping her off from school, after school. And, you know, I don't know what we were talking about, but I took the Lord's name in vain. And she didn't say anything about it. But the next day or whenever, you know, her mother explained to me, you know, why my girlfriend had gotten all upset with me, you know, because of what I had said. I remember, too, after I had become a believer and I was working for this gentleman that did remodeling. And uh, there was him and myself and two, three, five other guys, depending on the job. And there was this one guy that, you know, I had talked with a little bit about the Lord. And so, you know, when he was around me, he changed his, his words, changed his wording of things. Okay. And I remember hearing uh, some of the other guys say something to him about it one time. Uh, you know, because of the fact that, you know, I was this religious holy roller in their eyes. Okay, now we know that we're not supposed to be taking the Lord's name in vain because of the third commandment, Exodus 20, verse 7. It says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So it's not something that we can take lightly. You know, and it really bothers me when I hear it, you know, on TV or in movies. Uh, you know, it's just like any other word. And I think most people think nothing of it. So this this echoes what um, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Okay, he says, do not quench the spirit. Okay quench. Okay, the Greek word there is ben numi, which means to extinguish, to go out, or to quench. The message says, do not suppress the Spirit. The New Living Translation says, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. So this is how I understand this verse. It says, allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. 
okay, the Holy Spirit in our lives, in his church, has a job to do. And we've got to not get in the way. We've got to make sure that we're allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work that needs to be done. So if we put this together with what Jesus said in the Gospels about uh, speaking against the Holy Spirit and how we wouldn't be forgiven, we come to the understanding that we need the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Okay, let's look at John 14. Okay, John 14, 6 is that popular verse or well-known verse. You know, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, so Jesus has been talking with and teaching the disciples uh, through this chapter and previous and coming chapters. Uh, but in John 14, this is where Jesus introduces, I guess, the idea of the Holy Spirit to us. <clears throat> and, you know, he's talked about the Spirit before, but now he's really talking about, you know, the Holy Spirit and what his job is, what his purpose is going to be, I guess. But in verse 15 of John 14, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, then he goes on in verse 16 and he says, And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. Now, the King James uses the word comforter instead of advocate. And the Greek there means consoler or advocate or intercessor or comforter. Okay, so that gives you a picture of who the Holy Spirit is to be in our lives. Okay, so Jesus goes on in the beginning of verse 17 and calls him this. He says he is the spirit of truth. Okay, and then he goes on and says the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Now, remember, Jesus is talking to the disciples, minus Judas. Judas had gone out to see those to whom he was going to betray Jesus to. But I think what Jesus was saying to the disciples here, you know, it, to me it would seem like it was maybe kind of confusing to him. I mean, a lot of times they just didn't get it, and I think this was going to be one of those times. Okay, because he said, you know him, for he lives in you. Okay, they may have thought in the beginning that, you know, Jesus is talking about himself. You know, you know him, for he lives with you. But then Jesus goes on to say, and will be in you. And to me, they got to be thinking, what? what's he What's he talking about? going to be in us. And verse 18 probably didn't answer any of their questions because he said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And they got to be thinking, okay, we understand that you're not going to leave us as orphans. Okay, we got that. But you don't need to come to us because you're already here. Okay, so what what do you mean here, Jesus? Well, then in verse 19, it says, Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me, 
because I live, you also will live. Ah, okay, they're thinking, Jesus, he's going to go into hiding. Okay, and we're going to be the only ones that know where it is that he's living. That's what Jesus is talking about. Mm, no, I don't think so. Verse 20, on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Now they got to be thinking, <laughs> all right, Jesus, you really lost us when you said you were in me and I'm in you. Okay, I, I don't know. I just don't get that. So then he goes back to the beginning of this passage where Jesus said, you know, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father. And I too will love them and show them myself to them. Well, to me, I think the disciples were probably really confused. Okay, because Judas voices the concerns of his 10 associates and what they're thinking. Okay, because it says, then Judas, not Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? That's one of those questions that got asked that everybody else was afraid to ask. But Judas, you know, knowing from seeing the confused looks on the other disciples' faces, decided to ask this question, what are you talking about? Jesus answers them. He says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Okay, that's what he said back in verse 15. My father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. It's obvious. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Okay, they got to be thinking, okay, I've heard this before. Because back in John 7, Jesus was teaching and we're told this in John 7, 15 and 16. It says, The Jews there were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered them, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. So Jesus acknowledges then, and again in chapter 15, that it's his Father that is speaking through him. Okay, so now in 15, verses 25 and 26, he says, All this I've spoken to you while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I said to you. This kind of clears up things. Well, maybe somewhat. Okay, God is sending the Holy Spirit. And Jesus concludes that what he's saying about the Holy Spirit like this in verse 29. He says, I've told you this now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. So Jesus is giving them a clue that they can look back on and say, yeah, 
I remember Jesus told us about this before he was crucified. Okay, John 15 and chapter 16. says, Jesus is telling the disciples that they're going to be hated by the world because they love him. And what he's about to tell them, you know, may be rather confusing to them and maybe to us. But let me give you John 16, beginning in verse 7. Jesus says, But truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive, that he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Okay, let me give you my interpretation of this passage. Because it's three parts. Okay. First, it was God the, the Creator. And that's who the people communicated with or through, uh, you know, through angels or dreams or visions, whatever it may be. Then Jesus was on the earth. He was there to teach and to heal and to, to strengthen uh, the disciples, preparing them for ministry. And then Jesus was explaining how the Holy Spirit would be coming and would be the advocate, be the reminder for the disciples and for believers in the future. Me and you. The disciples were not understanding the concept of the Trinity, even though that's what Jesus was trying to explain to them in John's Gospel. Because Jesus said, you know, what I'm telling you isn't coming from me, it's coming from the one that sent me. And then he's saying, you know, what the Holy Spirit is going to be telling you is going to come from me. So those were the three parts of the Trinity, and they just weren't getting it, just like a lot of people today. Okay, but he alone, the Holy Spirit, is our last connection to the Father until Jesus comes again. That is why you don't grieve, you don't stifle the Holy Spirit, because he's the one that we have to be our advocate, to be our intercessor, to be our consoler, to be our reminder of the things of Jesus. I want to share with you the words of a song that I only knew the chorus. I didn't know there were any verses to it, but there's two verses. But the song, or the chorus goes like this. Holy Spirit, 
thou art welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, thou art welcome in this place. Omnipotent Father of mercy and grace, thou art welcome in this place. First verse. Lord, in thy presence there's healing divine. No other power can save, Lord, but thine. Holy Spirit, thou art welcome in this place. Thou art welcome in this place. Second verse. Fill all the hungry and empty within. Restore us, O Father, revive us again. Holy Spirit, thou art welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, thou art welcome in this place. The chorus again says the same thing. Holy Spirit, thou art welcome in this place. Omnipotent Father of mercy and grace, thou art welcome in this place. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks for your word. And Lord, sometimes we really feel we've grasped what it was you wanted us to learn, to understand. And other times it's like we're shaking our heads and really just not getting it. And sometimes when we think that we really do understand, we really don't. And Lord, maybe your Holy Spirit will clear that up for us sometimes. But Father, help us to to not get frustrated in trying to learn and to not get frustrated in trying to teach your word to others sometimes. So Lord, help us to, to know what it is that we need to know now, what we need to know today. And that Lord, I just praise you for the Holy Spirit that's going to be that reminder that I need, that I will be able to, to bring up the things that I've learned 10, 40 years ago, whatever it may be that I need to know in my life today. And Lord, there may be someone that's listening to this that really doesn't know what we're talking about. You know, this Father, Son, Holy Spirit thing, and you know, really can't get a grasp on that. Lord, let them know that they need to have you in their life. They need to have that Holy Spirit living in them. And that only comes through knowing your Son as Savior. That, Father, that they need to know that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and that he's coming back again. And Lord, let them pray like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Thank you for Jesus, the only Savior there is, that he died on the cross for my sins. He rose from the dead and he's coming again. Lord, help me to be ready. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.